0: Downloads of this show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Abba with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, January the 8th, 2019. 2019. Oh my God, it's a whole new year. And we have a whole new slew, a cavalcade of talent, a cavalcade of guest artists to bring to you this year. But before we do that, let's start with a little throwback jam from one of my fave bands and one of our guest artists, too.
1: In a flash, the school bell rang. Jenny grabbed onto my hand, took me home and said, you gorgeous, swing it, swing it, swing Downstairs, where we met I brought records, she cassettes Lost the brakes, found her shape Jennifer O' oh, Transcript, Transcripts show more than flirt I love daisies, red her shirt Grab my jeans, Jimmy screamed Jennifer O' oh, Jenny. Morals, shaped like a boss No one can live their life apart Found a house, aroused my joust Jennifer O' oh, Jenny. Her clothes, I did shuck Just like Dan, I strictly stuck to the punt, she cried, kick it, pasta noose was in Jenny, Only thought about Jimmy, but asked, was I a virgin? Like some kitten Derwin. She said, let's try it in the bathroom. But the noose is way above sinks. So to the kitchen, she did Dan, and came back practice some ran. Now wait a minute. Little Derwin got something to show us that Jenny can never do. Listen. Hey, look at little Darwin. Look at him go. Look at him go. Oh, baby. Positions. Muscle flex. Dove was lost in a kind hex. Passed her test. felt her teddy. Jennifer O' oh, Jenny. Notions. Soothe the mood. Dove was lost in de la heaven. Scream plug two. Did the dude. Jennifer O' oh, Jenny. Jenny. Tease my homeboy, Granny. In fact, she teased so many. She was known as a garden tool. No more. I dispatch. Was it Jimmy had met his match? Or could it be the realization all girls own a Jenny? For normal health, I had fought a valuable lesson she had taught. Don't flaunt that the candy is good unless you can complain.
0: We're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. You just heard Jennifer Taught Me, Derwin's Revenge, by De La Soul from their Three Feet High and Rising album back in 1989. Hmm, what significance does that song have for this episode? And why is Michelle playing that? Well, that song holds a clue to who our guest artist is this week. I love playing this game. I don't think anybody ever gets it, but that's okay. This next song, picked by a guest artist, is another.
2: The name of this tune is Mississippi, goddamn, and I mean every word of it. Alabama's got me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest, and everybody knows about. So upset, Tennessee made me lose my rest, and everybody knows about Mississippi. God damn, can't you see it? Can't you feel it? It's all in the air. I can't stand the pressure much longer. Somebody say a prayer. Alabama's got me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest And everybody knows about Mississippi God damn This is a show tune But the show hasn't been written for it yet Hound dogs on my trail School children sitting in jail black cat cross my path I think every day's gonna be my last Lord have mercy on this land of mine, we all gonna get it in due time I don't belong here, I don't belong there, I've even stopped believing in prayer Don't tell me, I'll tell you. Me and my people just about do. I've been there so I know. You keep on saying, go slow. But well, that's just the trouble. Keep it slow. Washing the windows. Keep it slow. Picking the cotton. Keep it slow. You're just plain rotten. Told me to wash and clean my ears and talk real fine just like a lady and you'd stop calling me Sister Sadie. Oh, but this whole country is full of lies. You all gonna die and die like flies. I don't trust you anymore. I keep on saying, go slow. trouble, desegregation, mass participation, unification.
0: And we're back with Fish Out of Iowa on Radio Free Brooklyn. You just heard Mississippi Goddamn live version by the great Nina Simone from Nina Simone's Finest Hour, which was released in the year 2000. Now, some of you might be wondering, hmm, what does Jennifer's Revenge and Mississippi Goddamn have in common? And what does that have to do with our guest artist this week? Well, wait no longer, kids, because now it's time for my favorite part of the show whoa whoa Welcome to Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week! Woo-hoo! So I'm sitting here with um, an artist who's really special to me. I've been trying to get this person here for ages, and I'm so, 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 so happy it worked out. Please welcome writer, poet, educator, activist, and arts advocate siri or jf siri (laughs) thank
3: you thank you thank you i'm really excited to be here michelle i'm glad that that we got in contact and we were able to make it work
0: so uh yeah thank you for having me so one question that i ask everybody when when we begin our chat is how and when did we meet and i already can surmise that it can only be one person that connected us and that is drum roll please (laughs) linda nieves powell (laughs) oh yes (laughs) Shout
3: out. Um, definitely a shout out to Linda. I love you much. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty sure that we met through her at least five years ago. If we, not more. My, I think more. I definitely think more because Linda and I have been working together probably for over 10 years on a bunch of different projects. So um, I definitely think that we crossed paths a few times and then I think we met and sort of really talked and got to know each other a little bit better was through Soledad Speaks, which is a project that we worked on yes. about five years ago. Yes, the one so, that Peggy,
0: yes. Peggy yes. Robles uh, Alvarado Alberto was in. and
3: uh, Maria was on yeah, it yeah and, yeah yeah uh, mariam uh, rodriguez was on it so yeah we had an amazing group
0: linda Nieves powell is a producer that has a history of producing these really great shows that just capture a Lat- latina experience mm-hmm. in new york city i mean now you have to say latinx right right yeah 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 back <laughs> then it was latina, latina. Uh, like, yeah. like <laughs> one of her famous shows was called yo soy yo latina, soy latina. Yeah. now she have to say yo soy latinx
3: uh well it's her project. So yeah, she can yeah, say yeah, she yeah. Wants, yeah that's yeah. true. She can say Someone. whatever she wants. <laughs> so one. are you a native New Yorker? I am a native New Yorker, born and raised in the Bronx. Yeah? Yes.
0: Ooh okay. Bronx Boricua Yay. time. That's right. Um are both your parents from the
3: island? Yes they are. They were both born on the island. My mom was born in Salinas and my father was born in Carolina.
0: Carolina. Yes. Yes, is yes, that right. where Roberto Clemente was from? That's right. Did yes. they know each other?
3: You know, that's a good question. I believe They probably were born I, around the same time. Maybe. I believe that my Aunt went to school like primary school with Roberto Clemente. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I feel like just recently I had posted something and she mentioned it. So, um, so they were definitely in the neighborhood around the same time and coming up around the same time.
0: <laughs> for for those who don't know, Roberto Clemente was an all-star baseball player in the in the 1960s and 70s from Catalina, Puerto Rico, who died tragically on New Year's Eve, 1972, on an airplane that was on an emergency humanitarian. That's mission right. bringing supplies to Nicaragua, where mm-hmm. that had just had a horrible, horrible earthquake. That's right. That's and right. he basically became a posthumous saint. Yes. Basically. Absolutely. Basically. Yeah. yeah. I
3: mean, I think. I, and well deserved. Well deserved, absolutely. Um, not only because of, of what he was doing in baseball at the time, but also just the fact that he was that he died in in. You know, in trying to help another community, and not even the Puerto Rican community, but a community A, a Latin outside, community, you know, yeah. Right. I, and so I, at that, the, it, you know, for me growing up was really important me to too. Know that that was part of his, you know, his existence and who he was yes. as a person. You have siblings? I do. I do. I have, uh, so my, both of my parents have been married before, so we have a kind of an array of siblings Oh, so like a Puerto Rican yes, Brady brunch. Exactly right. Exactly right. So I have uh, two older sisters, and I have four younger siblings. Two sisters and two brothers. And so I'm like, you know, uh, me and one younger brother are kind of like Mm. smack in the middle. Um, But I was raised primarily by my mom here in New York City. And so there were three of us at home. So despite the fact that I have this large sibling group, they were my older sister and my younger sister that were the ones that were really Mm. in
0: the household with me growing up. Did you go back and forth to PR?
3: We did. Um, There were a few years, I want to say, while I was in primary school that we didn't get to go as often. But uh, by the time I was, you know, heading towards middle school, we were going almost every year. Um, we spent a lot of time with my family down there. And what's interesting is that despite the fact that my parents got divorced when I was very young, I, you know, because we traveled to Puerto Rico so much, I always was in touch with my family on my father's side. We had an excellent relationship and we still do today. So that's, uh, that for me is always a very interesting that's thing. Great. That despite that, you know, my mom was so phenomenal in that, you know, this was our family. She never kept us from them. There was no ill will or anything like that. And so, you know, I grew up feeling very connected to Puerto Rico, even though I wasn't raised there. I mean... We did live there for a couple of years before I started school. So the idea was that we would be raised there. But unfortunately, when the divorce happened, my mom brought us back to New York because that's where she was from right. and where her network is.
0: But you were all born in the United States. Yes.
3: Yeah. Well, so my mom was born in Salinas, but her father No, I mean her you, ba- oh, like a yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, me, yeah. yeah. Me and my two sisters were both born in, in New York City. Yeah. And
0: it, people sometimes don't understand how, like, you just seamlessly go back and forth from the mainland to the yeah. island, from the mainland to the island, from I, the mainland to the I've island. i always
3: told people, for me, it's like going to New Jersey. Jersey, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, when people say they go to New Jersey to visit family or Pennsylvania or Connecticut, that's what Puerto Rico always felt like
0: to me, like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to Puerto Rico to see mm-hmm. my family. So, so you, grew, <laughs> you grew up 100% bilingual then?
3: Well, that's a good question. Um, I've we There was a lot of Spanish spoken in the house, a lot of uh, Spanglish, I should say. My mom, you know, I mean, she was Americanized. Uh, she's been, the, her family has been in New York City since the, I want to say the late 50s, early 60s mm. probably, so so we did grow up very Americanized, but there was a lot of Spanish in the household. Um, and, and my relationship to Spanish has evolved. You know, we, probably spoke it a little as kids. And then, you know, for a while there didn't speak it at all. And as I got older, I really wanted to recommit myself to making sure that, you know, I could speak Spanish to my family. I mean, it's not the greatest Spanish and I'm probably not super proficient, but, um, you know, but that at least I had communication and uh, not just with my family, but, you know, later on when we talk about uh, work things, you know, just even in my work and my practice. So.
0: I mean, it, it's really important. And I yeah. think that people that are our age had a very u- unique place in that because our parents' generation did not benefit from anything bilingual and right. there was such a right. stigma of, be- of speaking Spanish right. and of being different right. and of being considered not American and less than. Right. And in many families such as my own, my parents made the conscious decision to bring us up English only. Mm. But the flip side of that is that you can't communicate with your family and that's a shame.
3: Yeah, um what what I do see now that I think is pretty amazing is I do see a, a resurgence of, of folks you know our generation and even some youngers uh, younger folks that are really committed to teaching their children Spanish yes. and wanting it to be part of of their upbringing despite the fact that they're growing up in an English dominant society and for me that's important you know because I that that's the beauty of, of our culture is in our language I mean it's in so many things but it's also in our language and um, you know there are some things you just can't express in English that they're only in Spanish or they're only in uh, you know in, in a Puerto Rican vernacular and, and so um, those are the things that I kind of like look back on and I'm like yeah that's you know I, I appreciate that and so even in my in my creative work I want the text to reveal you know my biculturalism and you know and the different ways that I communicate and speak to people and what makes sense to me in my mind mm. so so having that second language to play around with is, it has been an amazing experience. Let me
0: ask you this question. Yes. What do you think about Spanish not really keeping up with new words?
3: Huh. You know what I mean? Like yes. computer daughter. Yes, 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 yes. I find it interesting that Spanish doesn't keep up, although I suspect that if we were in a Spanish dominant place, mm. there might be other words and phrases. and Maybe we just don't know it. Right? I guess so because that, so that could be part of it. But um, but yes, but I know we definitely used a lot of words that, well, you know, are unique, I think to Puerto Ricans, um, and, and then especially to Puerto Ricans in the United States, you know, like growing up, I never said autobus, so I always said guagua, but like right. that, that was the word we learned, that was what we knew, um. Even the word uh, 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 rojo <laughs> and colorado. Like, growing right. up, I just feel like I always heard colorado as as being red. But, um, but you know, in speaking with other Spanish speakers, rojo seems to be the more. Right. And I get it, you know. Um, I know why rojo is used, but but it just wasn't the word that right. we used growing yeah. up. Or
0: well, we would say for orange juice, jugo de china. Ah, uh-huh.
3: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And that, that, yeah, yeah, and that yeah. means... Chinese juice, oh <laughs> right? right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 when you think about yeah, it, why do yeah. we say Hugo de, de China? I mean, yeah. what, we could debate etymology for right. like forever. Oh, sure. But let's 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 move on. <laughs> so, um, out of all your siblings, um, how many of you went on to artistic? Uh, Endeavors. I'm the only one. You're the only one? I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> because the this one. is the, the fish out of Agua show. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Um, were your parents education-oriented
3: or creative? My, uh, well, my mom is very creative in, in different ways. She's uh, more visually artistic. She actually got into baking uh, not too long ago, about maybe 10 years ago. And she creates the most beautiful cakes that I've ever seen in my entire life. She hand-decorates these gourmet cookies that she makes herself. And so you know the cookies often are so beautiful you don't even want to eat them because wow. they just, they're, they're just beautiful to look at and so so that's the way that she's been artistic. Um, there aren't there is a lot of poetry in my family in the sense of you know uh, my aunt used to recite poetry not not that she wrote herself that I can remember but she definitely you know as an orator would recite some poetry. She did a very beautiful piece for my quinceanera. Um, so so there's been some. Uh, traces of arts, but I'm probably the only person that has fully uh, immersed myself in an artistic life and tried to to really make that part of my career and and you know just who I am as a person.
0: Did your artistic self
3: manifest itself at a young age? Good question. Um, I want to say that I started writing probably between middle school and high school as a as what I thought was a creative writer. I, I journaled a lot. I always did, um, but I started writing these short stories. And I remember my my earliest memory was uh, being in high school and um, submitting myself for an essay contest, like a crea- like a short story contest. And so I didn't win. The, you know, whatever the prize was, but they invited all of the, all of the folks that entered, they invited us to, to this little brunch in and we got these certificates and the, you know, the, this, uh, so this like little
0: in book. school, where did you go to school?
3: Um, the- I went to Manhattan Center. So, yeah, so, so, so that was like my first kind of taste of, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to risk it all and, you know, enter this contest and see what happens. And looking back now, you know, um, because like a lot of adolescents, you know, I struggled with different insecurities and, uh, had. Some anxiety and some uh, self-esteem issues. I, looking back now, I feel really proud of myself that, like, my little 15-year-old self was like, "I'm going to enter this contest and see what happens." I remember, the, you know, all of the uh, contestants being invited to a luncheon and, you know, being rewarded at least for for that submission. And so that, to me, was kind of like a first sign, a first indicator that this might. Be you know something that happens. Mm. And so I always I continued writing, but I stopped entering myself into things because of course you know when you're young and, and uh, you you don't take the rejection that well.
0: Now, how was your family with them? Were they accepting of you as a yeah. writer, or did they say, "Well, you can play with this, but we want you to be a doctor yeah. or a lawyer <laughs> or an engineer. We want you to do something that makes money. Art is for yeah. play."
3: So my mom, who I love, 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 love so much, uh, was definitely, you know, the kind of parent who wanted to make sure that her children had job security, home security, financial security, and as a single parent in New York City, it's completely understandable why any parent would want to make sure that their child chooses a career that's not as risky as going into the arts, because as, as we know, you know, the artist's way is a very risky way, and so I don't want to say that she discouraged me per se, but... She was more highly encouraging me to pursue other things, like you know she always thought that I could uh probably should have been a lawyer um and that probably and that I know had a lot to do with with who I was as a person and you know my argumentation and just how i was you know passionate about certain things. But that wasn't the life for me. Uh, and then it wasn't until I got to college that so I started really writing poetry and focusing myself around poetry. You know, and what and college did you about. go to? I went to Binghamton University in upstate New York. SUNY. Uh, yes. And so at that point, I started reciting poetry in public because it it was like a thing. You know, there, there would be all these events, you know, come and read your poetry, these open mic events. And I hadn't really been part of that culture in New York City when I was in high school. So, you know, Confronting it in college gave me an opportunity to say, and I was also a different person by that time. I was a little bit more confident, a little bit more mature. And so then I really started throwing my, myself out there. And what was amazing is that I got a lot of, of positive response, you know? So then it became like, from other people? From other students, yeah. So then it became like, hey, Siri, can you come in and perform at our poetry jam? Hey, Siri, can you come and perform at our banquet? Hey, Siri, you know? And so that was really cool to be, you know, 19 or 20 years old and having someone even at that age saying, we want you to read your poetry here, we want you to do something there. um, Why did
0: you pick that school?
3: Great question. I I, I tell students this all the time. I didn't pick the school. The school picked me. I have to give a lot of kudos to my mom because she really figured out the application process. She figured out what I needed to know. She learned about things like the Educational Opportunity Program, about the SUNY schools, and so she really you know, took the job of college advisor where, oh, like, that's great! My, my high school college advisor was like, you're not going to get in there, you can't, you know, don't even bother. Um, so so I was very, very lucky to have a parent so, that was that involved in that, you know. So your college
0: guest. advisor discouraged you. She surely did. Why do you think that was? I think my
3: college advisor was probably more focused on those solid A students Mm. and really making sure that they got all the, you know, college opportunities. Whereas like, you know, me who's kind of floating around and hovering and doing different things, you know, sort of read me as someone who was disinterested and therefore... Should not apply or doesn't,
0: you know, shouldn't waste their time. At least, at least they Which didn't. It's awful. At least um, they didn't tell you that you should ge- become a secretary. That's what they told me oh ten years God. earlier. Yeah, they were just like, you're not going to be an artist. You should just go to Catherine Gibbs School God. and learn how to type. And I was like, I already I mean, know how to type. And yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. they told me. I, it, they, they said they told me I would never make it.
3: And the thing is, is that
0: like, how do you people, say that to a seventeen-year-old? Part of
3: the reason that I work with you is because <laughs> I, I struggle with, you know. I struggle with this idea that adults have that much power to say to someone, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, oh you're only good for this, you're only good for that. Now, there are a lot of factors at play, right? Like we, you know, you're looking at a young person, you're seeing their consistency, you're seeing their attendance, you're seeing their grades, you're seeing all of these things about them, right? But it's not our place necessarily to say you can't do that or you're supposed to do this. I think it's more you know, I think the conversation should be more around, well, let's explore all of the options and realize that, you know, you may not get to everything that you want to do, right? But but that kind of discouragement I think, you know, for someone like you, for someone like me, it, it didn't stop us from No, from because we have the, the kind of personality like
0: it's like you tell me I right. can't do then something, do screw it. you. Right. I'm exactly. gonna show you I can do it. Exactly. But, but not, not everybody's everybody that. like that. Exactly.
3: And I and I and I always think like, you know, we we're Kind of dictating a, a person's future when we do that, and so so that's that's tricky for me. Um, yeah. But but yeah, so that's kind of like how I got to college. Um, so so when I say Binghamton picked me, it's it's more so because I wasn't as engaged in the college application process as I think a lot of youth today are. They're very attuned. They've been talking about college since they're in middle school and sometimes younger, and so they're just in a much different place than I was. I mean, I had never even visited a college. Do you think I
0: that's better now that's than it was question. then? Because um, you know, some people might make the argument that being so focused on college and um, what are you going to do from the age of like seven, eight, nine, ten, and then yeah. us who was just like you know playing in the schoolyard and like right. you know like 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 sneaking yeah. on the train and writing graffiti. Or maybe I did that. You didn't. <laughs> do that. You know, or being aimless. Right. Let's like, just right, say, or right, right, or, or right. you could also say being a child. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a fine line i i very much believe that kids need to be kids they need to explore they need to have fun all of those things are going to come one of the things that i remember about growing up that was that was so instrumental i think in just everything that i that i am today is that for my mom education was a priority and she would always tell us growing up you know That life is harder when you don't have an education, that things are more challenging when you don't have an education, and that education is the only way for us as people of color to succeed, but for us to elevate other people of color, right? So that was, those were the kind of messages that I was getting from my mom very, very young, and so... it it did shape my thinking and how I valued education, but I never felt the pressure of, like, you've got to have a GPA, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to get into this school, you know, which I do think that a lot of young people face today, and I think a lot of that is because college has become so competitive. Everyone, not not everybody, but most people are applying, most people are, you know, throwing their hat in the ring, and so the more competitive college gets, you know, the earlier, I think, a lot of families want to start that conversation. Mm. But you can... You can completely have a literate intellectual upbringing without, you know, necessarily even broaching the subject of college, Mm. you know, and so those things can happen, and and I've seen them happen in a beautiful
0: way. Now, going back to your college career at Binghamton, which Mm -hmm. picked you, do you feel that Binghamton um, complemented your creativity? Were you allowed to blossom there? Yes, I believe so. In what way?
3: So, um, you know, Binghamton is a wonderful school. It's a liberal arts school, but it's also a research institution, so there's a lot happening. Were
0: Uh, there a lot of people of color there? There
3: There were a lot of people of color as compared to other Sunnis. Mm. So, we while we still were less than 20% of the campus makeup we were still at the higher end of students of you know students of color population you know as compared to other students at the time so it- It was nice in that way in that many of the students of color, especially, were usually part of VOP, and all came from what we call downstate, so the New York City, Westchester, Long Island area, and so we built an instant camaraderie, so that was really nice to have. Um, I was at at Harper College, which is their liberal arts college, and so I actually studied rhetoric as opposed to creative writing, and those are the two tracks for English majors, Um, so I was really more about argumentation at the time, and, and I still had this creative writing passion, but for me, it was a hobby more so, than a career goal. And so, you know, so I was really focusing on writing. I, I was actually thinking about getting into educational policy. And so, all these other, you know, things were going on for me at the time. But what I was doing was um, developing artistically. I took painting classes, I took art history classes. I spent a lot of time, you know, I, I worked at the art co op for a while. I, I just spent a lot of time trying to. I wasn't a theater major, and I didn't hang out with the theater kids, but I did spend a lot of time just trying to cultivate my arts education as an undergrad. So that, I think, really served me later on in terms of just recognizing that I did have some background that would allow me to to merge into this, this life.
0: Now, I think you mentioned before that you were performing when you were in college. Yes. Did, um, what type of group was it?
3: So there were lots of different types of groups, usually um, Latino fraternities and sororities, a lot of cultural groups like the Black Student Union, Latino American Student Union at our campus. And then as I, as I made friends and networked with uh, folks from other campuses that were nearby, like Cornell, um where else Oswego and other places, then I actually was able to branch out and even did some performances at other campuses. Now were
0: you doing like depth jam type poetry or your own little blend?
3: I think it was my own little blend. Um I've never because I've never I, I never I didn't come up, you know, with any particular a poetic group, and, you know, I, I actually am an on-the-job on, the, on the job learner And in most of my artistic career. I were you developed poetry, my own style. Were
0: you a big poetry reader when you were growing up, or did you like yes. more, like, short stories? No, no, no,
3: I loved reading poetry, and, and what's funny is that I, you know, looking back now, I read, I just would read some of the most complex poetry that, that I don't even think I totally understood when I was reading it, but just something about it, I'm like, well, you know what? I consider myself a poet and I'm going to read this poetry and and that's going to be it. And I don't have to make meaning of it. And even now as a poet, uh, as a writer and as a writer whose work is, is actually taught, um, you know, I, I, I There's a little bit of a tug of war of how much we Mm. are trying to make meaning of poetry and not just letting the words exist. The definition Uh, for me, they just
0: existed. The definition of what is considered poetry has expanded so much in the past thirty years. Oh, absolutely! And partially, it's because of Def Jam. Yes, because you know, hip hop changed the world. Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) And also, partially, it's it's because of rap. Absolutely yes, which I actually teach. Rap which, is as a style the, which is kind of which is kind of the same thing, absolutely. but not really. Not
3: right, right. So, so and, we're talking about like canon poetry versus, right. You know, other poetic forms. Right, that and then there's spoken
0: right. word and yep. there's sestinas. Yes, but a yes. spoken word can be a sestina. Sure, and you can have all the genres in one. In, oh, one, in, 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 in a one in one piece.
3: And so, so you know, when I do creative writing classes, what I try to do is blend a lot of those things. Let's I backtrack myself. a little yes. bit.
0: When you graduated Binghamton, what were you planning to do with your life afterwards? Were you going to just like walk into the New Eurekan Poets Cafe and just like own it? Did you know about it back then? I when did, you were, when you were twenty two years old? I
3: did know about it. I wasn't ready to take it by storm at the time. Um I actually was was not in a creative place. So when I when I graduated from school, I thought in my mind that I graduated from poetry and for performance. Mm. Um, And so I started, uh, originally I I wanted to go into education policy, and so I was going to go to law school. Wow. Um, So that was my plan at the time. I got a position at a law firm. It was a real estate law firm, and that absolutely killed any desire (laughs) that I had to go to law school. And not because... You know, not because I had any any horrific experiences working for that particular firm, actually, I had a lot of uh, um, experiences that I think also contributed to to making me the person that I am. but um, you know one of the things that I started to think is you know, if I go into education policy without ever having taught in a classroom, then I'm doing the same thing that I'm criticizing other people for for, which is making decisions about education without ever having taught or been on the front lines or had that kind of engagement with students. So I said, all right, I'm going to teach for a few years, and I'm going to get that experience that I'm looking for, and then I'm going to go to law school, and then I'm going to do this. And so, um, so I started you, teaching. Don't
0: you need a master's to teach?
3: I did, and so I got my master's oh, okay. while I was in service. Yeah, okay. So I was in service teaching. I, I, Where did you uh, get your master's I from? got my master's at Mercy College. Okay. Yeah, and I loved their program because, uh, one, it was affordable, and two, it was extremely, extremely practical. So, literally, I could learn things you know, at class one night and use that in my lesson plan the next day. So it, so that for me, especially because I was already in service, was um, a huge benefit. Well, what was the that. first
0: school that you taught
3: at? So I taught at Lehman High
0: School. Lehman! Yes. I went to Lehman, Full disclosure. <laughs> yep,
3: so I, I taught at Lehman High School for two years, and I loved my students there. But one of the things that I struggled with at Lehman is that it was a very traditional, traditional school. The classes were only 45 minutes. I was seeing about 150 students a semester. And And you were teaching English. And I was teaching English. Um, And so, you know, being at Lehman... You know was an amazing experience I met some amazing people while I was there it wasn't the kind of school environment that I was looking for and that's when I, I made my move and I started looking around at other schools and what I really wanted was a progressive school that aligned philosophically with with my pedagogy and so I found Vanguard and you know I I applied to work there and there's a funny story there and so I have to give a little shout out to Blanc and Lorraine uh, so who are the two secretaries at of the office I was on my way to my interview they were calling me to camp Canceled, but I wasn't able to pick up. And so I arrived at the school, ready for my interview. I had my suit on. I was feeling really good about myself. And they're like, we had to, you know, explaining they had to cancel, la da. And so, you know, so I was like, all right, dejected, but you move on. And so, uh, one or two months later, they called me. This was now in the summertime. And so later on, while I was working at the school, they revealed to me that the posi- another position in that department, came up again. And they immediately thought of me because I had shown up to that interview, like, dressed and ready to go and, you know, excited about it. And they remembered that moment. And so they they, they were like, call her, call her. And so they're, the re- well, I think, part of the reason that I got hired. Um, and so the Vanguard has been a, uh, an institution that I've had a relationship with now for 16 years. So you've been so, teaching yeah. for 16
0: years? I've been teaching for 18 years. 18 years. Yeah. Okay, what yeah. school are you with now? I'm still with Vanguard. You're still with Vanguard. Uh, where with where Vanguard. are they?
3: They are on uh, 67th Street between 1st and 2nd. So it's the oh. Julia Richmond. Campus.
0: Oh, my mom went, went to, Richmond. to Julia my Richmond. And my uncle
3: did as well.
0: All yeah, the all, all the good little Latina girls from Spanish Harlem yeah, went to Julia went to Richmond. Richmond. Exactly, it's the truth. Exactly. It's the truth. So, um, how do you think that your education career enhanced? Your creative career. Did you perform alongside all these 18 years? Have you been continuing to write and perform and put out new work?
3: The majority of them,
0: yes. So
3: I want to say, you know, because I was doing my master's, I was merging into a new school, my life was changing, I probably, you know probably took about 5 years between college and when I started performing again of just <coughs> figuring out my life and who I was going to be and and you know as soon as I got and the, the funny thing is is that as soon as I got settled, right? So like as soon as my masters was done, as soon as I was settled in my in my position at Vanguard and I and I knew that that was going to be my home, as soon as all of those things settled, then like that little creative, you know, voice was like, you have to write. You need to do. You need to create. And so um, I started, you know, trying to figure out. Okay, so how do I do this? What do I do? And uh, one of the blessings that came right around that time was the New York City Latina Writers Group. I was forwarded a forward of a forward, and I'm reading it, and it's like, oh, you know, this writers group is starting. We're meeting here, you know. And uh, Alicia Navel Santos, who's one of the, who's the founder of the group, you know, just invited a bunch of women of color to to come to her house. And share space and and talk about right being writers, and create. And that's what we did. We started meeting, We met regularly. we started creating. We started writing, holding each other accountable in a very, you know kind of positive and and supportive way. And that group has grown so much. And so, uh, that then became the impetus. That, that sort of gave me permission to say, OK, well, you know what? I'm an adult now. And I've got my life and my careers going. And I want to start writing again. I want to start performing again. This is clearly something that I'm passionate about. And that's, that, that became a void for a few years. And so I want to fill that void. And, and having the, the New York City Latina Writers Group allowed me to fill that void. And from there on, it just kind of snowballed. Like, I started writing, and I started meeting people, and I started going to poetry shows. You know, and then I had my first big gig at New Yorican. And so that was really wonderful because, you know, New Yorican is is our home, you know? Yeah, no,
0: you walk in those doors, and you just feel the word the vibrations of yeah. the words okay. it's Everything like i that came before you you yeah. know and and, and so I, I did a show there a couple of months ago mm-hmm. and it's like you feel the timbre of everybody's yes. voice going from the crown of your head down yeah. to your feet and yes. out yeah. There's so much and it history. It's beautiful. It, yeah. it, it was such a it's beautiful experience. It's like spirits, experience. but good yeah, spirits. Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. And so that then sort of evolved from there. It, it became, um, you know, just me doing poetry gigs here and there and, you know, a lot of college gigs and a lot of stuff for free. So that started to grow. And then at one point, I was like, I think I'm gonna make this a career I think I'm gonna I'm gonna have people pay me to do this you know and so I had the talk with my mom and I'm like mom I'm gonna be a writer I'm gonna you know I'm gonna go for it I feel really good about it and so her first question to me was how are you gonna pay your rent and so you mm-hmm. know what yeah she's my mom it makes sense I get it you know and and it, it that kind of question probably would have crushed me if I were younger when I, when I made my statement. But I was so self-assured at that point. I was like, I'll figure it out. You were over 30. <laughs> that, like, that's the difference. Exactly. So what was nice is that, you know, my mom and I are very close. And this was all long before she moved to Florida. We, she started to see me grow. And she started to see me perform more, and she started to see me travel for performances, and then she started to see the checks come in, <laughs>
4: mm. you know.
3: And once the checks came in, she, I think, that was like the the eye opener for her, where she said, "Oh, this is this is a real thing, and and people do pay her for it, and that's interesting." Um, and so then she said, you know. Uh, let me read some of your poetry, and so at that point, she had had never, no, at that point, point, had any of your
0: siblings ever Um, expressed
3: an interest, my, my siblings had, and they had seen me perform at certain points, but, um, but not my mom, and so, so I gave her a few pieces to read, and maybe a a day or two later, she's like, I want to talk to you in the sala, and I'm like, what did I do? The right? living room, you get, oh, yeah. and not the so kitchen, ba- <laughs> not the kitchen, you know, not, so not my bedroom, not the kitchen. This is like a sit
0: down.
3: <laughs> This is like a sit down. I was like, oh my god, what is happening here? I don't know, you know. And she just complimented my work. You know, she's like, your, your writing is so strong, it's so powerful. You know, she did kind of make a funny statement about wanting you know, wanting it to be more flowery and pretty. And I was like, but you know, life is not pretty, and 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 my work is is really to show the not pretty side um and but it really warmed my heart a that she read my work b that she thought it was important enough to to just sit down with me and and let me know what she was thinking and you know that that was so wonderful because i know that you know folks who go into the arts world if their parents or their families don't understand it's really difficult um, and I remember there was one holiday where, where we were all getting together for Thanksgiving. And, it, you know, I was, that was at the point where I was ready to go to leave work full time and really pursue this. And, you know, my cousin asked me, he's like, you're going to leave your job with a DOE and, and la-di-da. You know, and, and it just didn't, couldn't register for him. And he's like, why are you doing such a thing? And in my mind, and, and what I said out loud to him is, was because I can, because I can. And that's how everyone should think, right? Mm. Because I can. Uh, and, and And at that point, I realized I was giving myself permission to take that risk and do it. And you know what? I had a great career to fall back on. I had already been teaching for at least a good 10 years. By that point, I, you know had my pension going. I had lots of things in place for myself so that if I, if I took this risk and it didn't pan out, I would always still have a home. And I love teaching. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's a huge part of my life. I love working with young people. So that's not a loss for me to ever leave the creative world and go back to teaching full time. Uh, However, I've been able to make it work. And so I've been really privileged and fortunate in that, in that way. And, um, you know, and so that's that's a lot of what I do now is kind of like bridge the gap between the arts world and, and the education world and I bring a lot of my arts work into my classes and I bring I, I consider a lot of what I do in the classroom in the kind of work that I put out and what are the messages that I want to send and you know who my audience is. And so, you know, all of that has just, has just come
0: together really beautifully. I bet that you enrich your students so much more because you're an artist, than if you came from a more staid, rhetorical, for want of a better word, background.
3: I I hope so, yeah.
0: So I want to know about the students that you're teaching today, lately, Mm -hmm. and I also want to know what you feel are the greatest challenges for Mm. you as an educator Mm -hmm. and as a performing artist. Mm.
3: So uh, so I'm teaching uh, still at the high school part-time, and then I also teach at, at BMCC part-time this semester. And so my, my age range is, is probably 15 to 20 in terms of, of whole groups that I teach. And uh, the challenges that I have, and it really doesn't even come from them. I think that the, the bigger challenges for me are trying to keep them hopeful despite all the things that are happening in the world, despite things that might be happening in the home, and and just remind them that that there are things still worth fighting for, you know, and and it's funny, uh, a friend of mine recently asked me, like, how do I keep going, how do I keep doing it, you know, do I ever lose faith, do I ever lose hope? And so um, that, I always think back to my students, you know there's always some some conversation that i have with a student or some interaction that i have with a student that reminds me why i do this work why i do the work creatively why i do the work scholastically in a school why all of that is happening and it and it has a lot to do with the fact that i want to be part of creating a better world for them right they 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 weren't they didn't have any choice about being born into the world, they didn't have any choice about the world that that's been set up for them. They they had no power in that. And so my responsibility is to to try to make that world better in some way, whether it's through the writing, whether it's through the performance work, whether it's through the teaching work, to to do that. So so the challenge is reminding them that they, that they have value, that I value them. You know, because sometimes they ask me, well, why didn't you go to Hollywood, or why haven't you done this, or why haven't you done that? And I'm like, you know, I. I, it's because I'm trying to balance it. You know, I don't want to leave you to go pursue a Hollywood dream. There's still something about what's going on with you that that's important to me. And I want to make sure that they have that kind of support and love. You know, I, I wasn't uh, growing up, I wasn't close with my teachers the way that I feel like I, I've been able to build a bond with a lot of my students. They're amazing, amazing people, um, and so I love that. Do your students ever come see you perform? They do, they have. And uh, and I actually have had uh, our, our Spanish teacher at the school has actually shown my work, videos of my work, uh, to to her Spanish students, and um, you know some of my performances are night performances, so depending on the age, they might not be able to come. But yes, as much as possible, if we have talent shows, I always try to
0: perform. To it seems like your entire life is constantly infused with words and yes, poetry. Yes, absolutely. That's amazing. Absolutely. So I think this is a good place to say, A Little Pascal tells me that you have some of your magic words to share with us. Oh,
3: absolutely. So, so the piece that I'm going to share with you is called New York and Tales. Um, uh, it's a piece that I actually wrote for my mom, so going back to that anecdote that I shared, you know, when my mom told me that, that my poetry was very rough, I wanted to write something for her, and this piece I wrote for her, it's it's a piece that reflects my youth and, and my growing up, and um, I'm really excited to say that it's a piece that's actually going to be used in a Spanish curriculum that's going to be taught in colleges.
0: New Eurekan tales. Yeah. Take it away, Siri. All right.
3: My heart beat beat beats to the rhythm of the clave Caribbean sun kissed skin mi piel cafe con leche coffee bean color, these are the eyes of my mother. Raised by the Bronx musing on medleys of salsa, pouring Hector celle Rubén from apartment windows, inspiring spontaneous song and dance from locals watching games of dominó on city sidewalks. Childhood memories of syrupy sweet tamarindo piraguas and playing in pompas to cool down on heat-drenched summer city days. We eagerly anticipated the Puerto Rican Day Parade. With our banderas held high, we shouted, que viva Puerto Rico, del encanto y amor de mi alma, never questioning whether our pride was innate or instilled, we were raised to love all of who we were and mommy didn't tolerate ignorance, we were fed on a strict diet of penil, arroz con gandules y yuca, we ate barrio frituras and drank jugo de guayaba from Goya cans, Christmas men pasteles, arroz con dulce and an extra present for leaving grass under your bed para los reyes We took annual pilgrimages to Borinquen, island of my mother's birth, island of my soul's content, a chance to become one con nuestras raices cultural. Bright-eyed and hopeful, we sang schoolgirl choruses of... Alegre vengo de la montaña, de mi cabaña que alegre están. Y a mis amigos les traigo flores de las mejores de mi rosal. Time spent con mami Panchita, mi tío y tías, I miss my grandmother's eyes. Knowing Papito Kike from old tales and Mama Chonga, a testament to an ancestry rooted in slavery, a return to New York City, Nueva York, where school buildings are named after Tito Puente, Julia de Burgos, Felisa Rincón de Gautier. We hung images of Don Pedro Albizu Campos in our homes. We were fluent in Spanglish, raised on a mixed bag of El Chavo del Ocho, Greece, Mary Poppins, Sábado Gigante, and we watch Iris Chacon shake that cadera on television. Este orgullo was born in me, rooted in my mother's journey, grounded in New York cement. With divine inspiration, I pen my history. This is my story, a tale of two languages, two cultures, one identity, one New Yorican, one me
0: snaps on the air. That's amazing. So if people want to find out more about your fabulousness, keep up with your performances or any publishing that you might do, how can they find you?
3: Absolutely. Well, they can definitely find me on my website, which is jfseary.webs.com. And uh, that that's the central place. I'm also on all social media under at S E A R Y and the number one. That's for Instagram and Twitter. And I'm also on Facebook at J F Siri S E A R Y. Uh, so yeah, any any way that folks want to follow or find so, me, feel free to connect, check in. Uh, I'm around and I'm always working.
0: So um, Siri, I asked this question of. Everybody, when we get to the end of our chat together, mm-hmm. um, if you had a word of advice or encouragement mm-hmm. for a young person that wants to pursue an artistic career but may have certain obstacles mm-hmm. in their way preventing them mm-hmm. from doing so and but knows that they are marching to the mm-hmm. beat of a different drum and they have to get it out mm-hmm, or else, yeah. what do you tell the child?
3: Okay, great. So... The number one thing that I that I say is to take risks, take risks, take risks. If you take risks with love in your heart uh, and with a passion for what you're doing, then th- you'll be rewarded in one in some way. Whether it's your own, you know, uh, just knowing that you did something, that you put something out there, uh, or you know, you may be rewarded in other ways where you know, it becomes part of your career or it becomes something that you can make money with. But, but really it's trusting your instincts, taking risks and keep creating, even if
0: no one's listening, keep creating. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. My Isn't God, yeah, absolutely. that resonated with me so much. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much Thank for being you. a fish
3: out of agua. I love the podcast. I'm so excited to be here with love you. Love on you. the air Thank and a you. hug on the yes. air.
0: A hug on the air! We always end with a hug on the air. Woohoo!
4: I'm gonna have your back
0: And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. You just heard Blue October with I Hope You're Happy from their 2018 same title. I Hope You're Happy. Wow, they kind of sound like the cars, don't they a little bit? Oh my God, I used to love the cars so much and I, I haven't played them. Hmm, I think I'm going to have to rectify that. Well, anyway, one thing that JF Series said, That so resonated with me, and it was something I so needed to hear today, is to create, to continue to create, like no one's listening. Wow. All right, I have one announcement to make. Uh, Radio Free Brooklyn is having an event, a RFB Presents event at the Pine Box Rock Shop next Monday, January 14th at 9 p.m. It's going to be a Radio Free Brooklyn DJ night. It's going to be a great chance to showcase Radio Free Brooklyn's awesome DJs in a live setting, so... Check it out if you're around. And well, kids, guess what? That's our show. You have been listening to Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. And we're going to close with the last of a series picks. And it's funny, we kind of started with the 90s hip hop and we're going to end with the 90s rap. So here is Wu-Tang Clan, The Mystery of Chess Boxing from their Enter the Wu-Tang album in 1993. Continue to create like no one's listening. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll see you next week. Woohoo! The game of chess
4: is like a sword fight. You must think first before you move. Tone style is immensely strong
2: and immune to nearly any weapon. When it's properly used, it's almost invincible.
1: Hmm. Raw, I'ma give it to you with no trivia. Roll like cocaine, straight from Bolivia. My hip hop will rock and shock the nation, like the Emancipation Proclamation. Weak MCs approached with slang is dead. Then minds are well running to the wall and bang your head. I push a force I force forcing doubting. I'm making devils cower to the caucus mountain. When I'm a sire, I set the microphone on fire. Rap styles Barry and carry like Mariah. I come from the shallow slum and the air I'm from is coming through with enough niggas and enough guns. So if you wanna come sweating, stressing, come. Contestant. You got your soft swords to the midsection. Don't talk the talk. If you can't walk the walk, Phony niggas are outlined the chalk. I'm mad vex, is what the projects make me. Rebel to the grain, there's no way to barricade me. Steamroller niggas like a 18 18- what the drunk driver driving, there's no surviving. Rough like Timberland, weird, yeah.
2: Me and the clan and yo, the land cruisers out there. Peace to all the crooks, all the niggas with bad looks, Ball head braids, blows this hook. We've had niggas nigga play the max, black acts, drug dealing styles with fat stacks. only been a good nigga for a minute though. Cause I got to get my props. And when it yo, I got beef with commercial ass niggas with gold teeth, gambling in a Lexus seat and beat, straight up and down, don't even bother. I got 40 niggas up in here now, who kill niggas.
1: Up. My people's all you with me where you at, in the park, in the yeah. back, killer bees on the tap.
4: My people's all you with me where you at, scorpion rap, they you on the block with the